Yes. You're talking absolute rubbish. Absolute rubbish. As long as I say we can persuade Willie to stay in Ireland, we'll stay in England. GSI, get stuck in. That's probably the most ridiculous question it I've ever It is, I know, but I had to ask um, you. No, you didn't have to ask me. You're calling out prices. Bookmakers' prices on this channel, right? Yep. You couldn't have two bananas to a banana with the bookmaker. Something like a bag of hammers. The racing is under such scrutiny. Ah, if you don't like racing, go and watch Peppa Pig. Welcome to the Final Furlong Podcast. I'm Miss Kennedy. It is great to be joined by a leading racehorse owner, a man who is very passionate about this sport. Some wonderful successes. Quite outspoken, never afraid to share his opinion. And he's got a leading contender for the Cheltenham Festival, who is currently a very, very big price. Carl Hinchy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Emma. Lovely to be here. Nice to see you. The horse I really want to start with is the terrific run from Fugitive. I should say he was behind John Bond, but really was behind Elixir of the Nuts. At that distance of, first of all, that was an insane running of the Clarence House Chase at Cheltenham. It was a fantastic renewal. The thought process of going for that race with Fugitive, because that distance is too short for him, but he's run a blinder for you. Yeah, I mean, I think from our point of view, we're... we're we just started the season. We really wanted to win one of those big handicap races. We'd been we'd been second in three of them last year. The festival, but over at over on Trials Day, and look, that that was the, the sort of nut that we wanted to crack. So by doing that, which we did in December, we then we can then turn our attention to well, where do we go in the spring? And our view was, look, we've got a horse here that can he can he can really enjoy running over that 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 new course. You know, it is it's the perfect track for him. He runs it very, very well. If he, he's shown he can run within ten pound, possibly of, of you know of a, of a winning Grade One result. So if we can if we can sort of improve ourselves by three, four, five pound, we're going to be in the first three all, all on historical data in the Ryanair. So our attentions then have to turn to okay, well, what's the best prep for us to give our horse? And we looked at the Lingfield race. We weren't sure that the course would shoot would suit him. We looked at the Dublin Racing Festival, the two mile five handicap. But obviously, he's only trained 20 miles away from the course. So mm. running, running back there over the course of the distance seemed the obvious point. But then when the, the Clarence House was rescheduled, it sort of gave us a little bit of um, food for thought. So when, when we regrouped and sat down and spoke about how best to prep it, we thought, well, do we carry 12 stone in a handicap and try and do what we've already achieved this season? Or do we look at a slightly different way of, of treating the horse? We can run him over half a mile less. We can sharpen up his jumping over two miles, and we can give him a different experience so he doesn't get into into the mindset of I'm only doing a certain thing all the time. So we weren't gullible enough to think that we were going to beat a horse like John Bon or, or anything else. We put a lot of thoughts into it, but we've been training the horse just with the spring in mind. We've had a bit of moody weather, haven't we, in England over the periods coming up to the race? And our thinking was, let's sharpen him up. Let's let's get him back down to two miles. Let's give him, get him out of his comfort zone and use it as a prep for the Ryanair. And we were delighted with his run. So, you know, I think he's, he's run to six lengths off the winner um, over, over a trip that he wouldn't enjoy. And he's also sort of had to think twice a little bit and say to himself, OK, well, you know, that was out of my comfort zone a bit. And I think we're now literally, let's say he was 85, 90% on Saturday. We'll get him 100% for the third week in March or the second week in March as it is. I think it's 46 days between Trials Day and, and the Thursday of the festival. So, um, yeah, we, we, we're all about that this year. That's where we're going to go. We came second last year's festival in the handicap. And I think clearly when now we're on 157, are we really likely to want to give a lot of weight away to younger, to younger horses and perhaps better handicap horses in the festival? 
no, there's no need to do that. Let's 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 go for the great one and see how we get on. And it'll be a, a huge day for all all his fans and all the people who who come and support him every time he runs with us. And myself and Dr. Hussain is the the other owner, and we just had a great day out. I think I'm going to win, well, <laughs> and we'll win. What I fancied him when Alaho was still in the race, and now with Alaho gone, I can't believe he's still a 33 to one shot. What was Gavin Sheen saying to you after the race? Just that, yeah, just that. that he he said he had to give him a little, a little bit of a, a slap around the back just to focus his mind and concentrate him. And he said that you know he 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 was out of his comfort zone. I mean, my my concern would have been it's been a while since he's run over two miles, and he and the, the last time he ran over two miles, the jockey came off and said he was flat out all the way, you know, and. When we did that, it was really a question because we wanted to step him up for the previous years to send the Gold Cup. So we sort of went back to doing that. And Gav came up, but he was absolutely delighted with it. And it was a, it was a difficult time for Gavin because, of course, and for everyone who's a Cheltenham, the preceding race, you know, they, they'd lost that lovely horse of theirs that the, the won the Hennessy, and, and Gavin was on board. And, of course, he has to then pick himself up and come and ride our horse, which, you know, it's, it's a huge amount of professionalism on his part to do it so so well to display such a great attitude and again that speaks volumes for how how racing people are you know it's it's i mean he would have been devastated but he, he wouldn't have seen it you know he's he's put his game game head on and got himself into the correct zone for mentally and he, he's given our horse a great ride again i mean we've come tearing down the hill made up all our ground and we've shot up the hill and i don't mind finishing if i'm six six lengths behind john bon i'm, I'm a happy man <laughs> I would take that going into the Cheltenham Festival, your form read six and a half lengths behind John Bond over a trip that's woefully inadequate for him. That's that's a, pretty, that's a Yeah, that's a very, very good prep. I still can't understand why he's the price he is. Can I just ask you to go back to the... I'm almost afraid to ask you this because it must have been a pretty pretty dark day. You've just finished second at the Cheltenham Festival, but you finished second at the Cheltenham Festival, which is the problem. What was that feeling like when John McConnell's said and manages to just out-battle you? Yeah, it's it the second time a horse of mine and Richards have finished second. Chance who fly came second in the ultimate chase. Um, again, carrying a big weight. And um, yeah, I mean, one one of my sons said to me at the time, he said, I, mean, I, I was, I was, I have to be, I was devastated. I was, I mean, I was very proud of the horse, but because when you want to win, you know, and, and you're never going to get to the end of your career, your life, or, and say, well, there's a second prize, there's my second place prize from run at the Cheltenham Festival. So you just want to win. And, and I think I think the best way to sum it up was it, 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 there's, a, there's a statement which is, show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that would, that would embody my feelings on the day. Now look, I would have got on to everyone else that was there and, and shook their hands and said, congratulations. I know how big it is, how important it is to win. And it was great that the, the lads who, who, who won the race were a syndicate. You know, they were small owners, and the horse had done particularly well. We were giving him a lot of weight that day, and we didn't probably get the run of the race, but we had no excuses. We were on a brilliant race. We were proud. Afterwards, we were celebrating like we won the race. But the truth is, deep inside, you just think to yourself, oh, second. <laughs> well, you really do want to win. <laughs> if, if that's how you were feeling, just imagine how Ella McNeil was feeling. Because yeah, no, that was a difficult one. Really they'd, difficult they'd, one. they'd sold <laughs> Seddon, and Seddon was named after her grandmother. And then she has yeah. to sit there and watch yeah. him go and win for Galaxy Horse Racing. Ella will be back on the show soon. I mean, they come back to buy you, but at least we know the McNeils are good people to buy off now. True. Very true. <laughs> Although I think they're going to be real, they're going to think long and hard about the next horse yeah, they no, sell. I mean, no, I mean, look, and again, Max, he, he's another 
you know, he's 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 a person who's a wonderful involvement. He interacts brilliantly, doesn't he, with 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 the general yeah. public and, and someone like him, you you would love to see, you know, overachieving in in his in his racing because he's he's one of racing's real good guys, isn't he? So. Um, you know, look, I'm sure this season he, he, he might have one that gets over the line for them. We'll see. It's part of, got some... We've all sold horses that have gone on to do well. And, you know, you, you do take it on the chin, but dear me, it's, he would have loved that, wouldn't he? Oh, absolutely. And I think owners like the McNeils and yourself are great for the sport. Like, you communicate so brilliantly. You're willing to come on shows like this and engage with the fans. And there's an understanding that this is the bridge to get to the fans. Like, this is the thing I love about horse racing. I'm, I'm a big football fan. I'm a big Liverpool fan. I'd love to go to Anfield and for a Klops. By the way, just devastated that that's happening. But anyway, Shabby uh, <laughs> Alonso, please come and save us. The first I ever knew about horse racing was when my granddad used to look after me as a kid. And he would leave me outside this little bed and shop while he, while he pops inside, but he's lucky 15 on or whatever it might be. And I'd look through the door and I'd see all this smokiness and what was going on. And I, and I hear the excitement and people coming out, rubbing their hands. And, and it, it attracts you from the base level, doesn't it? And then I think when we, when, when we, were, when we were teenage boys, we used to jump over the fence at Liverpool at, 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 at Aintree and bunk onto the course, get on there and... and Watch these hunter chases and the festival, and all the all the big horses run, and, and you were, you know, you were attracted to them, you were amazed by them. It was so different. It was so the amount of people that follow racing, working class people, betting shop people, they're not represented by the people who are at the upper echelons of racing, but they love it just as much, don't they? It's a, it's yeah. a, it encompasses the, the full spectrum of society in lots of different ways, and yeah, and and interacting now, I think we touched upon this before. You know, you, you have different platforms to do it. Twitter is a, is, a, is, a, is a wonderful platform to be able to do that. You know, you can, and the more owners that do it, the more trainers that do it in, in, a, in a better fashion, the more people will understand different things, understand more feelings, experience, share experiences, you know, look at the, 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 at the wonderful communications and different things that can be done. And, and you can have you can have nice rows with people as well, which is great. <laughs> there's, there's, there are so many different aspects to modern day communications which people can embrace um, and the more people that do it the better you know I think there are, there are a handful of owners doing it there at the moment and seeing the, seeing what they do seeing how much they enjoy it it's it's motivational and, and inspirational to people who perhaps are on the, the cusp of getting involved in racing and wonder is this something I can do or can't do and there are so many different ways to do it and there's from the time in my, my first share was a 1% share of a horse Two and a half percent, five percent, maybe a leg. You can you can go all the way through to to owning. You know, with a bit of luck, as your life changes, as you as you grow older, you might have a little bit more success financially. People people can enjoy all of the things that the sport has to offer, and you know, and, and communicating it to other people is 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 highlighting just what can be done and how how many, how many different types of people can do it. I think it's breaking down a few of those barriers, Emma. You know. Because there, there, there still remains within racing that sort of that little bit of a class barrier, isn't there, or the perception of one. But if you go to a race meeting, you won't see that at all. You know, and that's and that's what that's what that's what you're alluding to. Go to the race meeting, see the jockeys, talk to the trainers, have a pint with them in the bars because they're all there. So yeah. all the others. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Some maybe even the trainer of a prominent champion hurdle. <laughs> 
I drink him under the table, by the way. No problem at all. Finer, finer wine than the Guinness. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I'd be probably sipping on the Clonmel Chardonnay, and he'd be drinking the top shelf finer stuff that, oh, yeah. that there is. Yeah. But he'd, he'd be on the best bars. That's for sure. But uh, yeah, no, look, it's it's it, it really is a you know it's a multifaceted, it's an engaging sport. It's a sport with a, a fabulous program, and and you know, and again. People who are familiar with different types of sports, they wouldn't necessarily understand that racing has that, you know, it has that structure to it, the, the, from the young horses to the, to the older horses that have that competition. Explaining that to people is a brilliant thing to do, educating people about what happens, but also just feeling the passion, the passion of a winning bet, the passion of going without having a bet and, and seeing the celebrations of people who've, who've enjoyed a bit of luck at the, at the races. You know, all of those things, they're incredibly contagious and attractive. And if you're... You're in a position where, you know, in life at the moment is very tough for a lot of people. You know, it, it's it, 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 happiness is a is a much more sought after <laughs> quality than than, than than it ever has been. You know, and, and going to a race is it doesn't have to be expensive. I think we're all going to Dublin the, the weekend. A number of us have booked it. Like, I think there will be tens of thousands coming from the United Kingdom to to Dublin to have a an, an Ireland and. Dublin itself and Leopardstown will be filled with a great mix of people from, from the locals to, to the people from the UK who've been over there and, and everyone will be having a ball. It'd be a brilliant, brilliant example of how good racing can be. What do you think it is about the Dublin Racing Festival that has worked so well? Because that's one of the things I'm fascinated by about it. The amount of the British <laughs> contingent who come over. Like, there's not as many Irish going over for Trials Day as there are British coming over for the Dublin Racing Festival. Why do you think it's so appealing? Yeah, I think I think there are a number of things. I mean, the, the, look, if you are a, a, a really established racing fan, then you would say the quality of the racing, the two days and the way that they brought all those big races together over those two days is a hugely attractive thing. But from a from a practical level, it, it's it, the accessibility of it is incredible. You know, I mean, I mean, who wouldn't want to go and have two nights in Dublin? You know, it's a, it's a great place to go. You'll, you'll have a great night, great night out. Enjoy the crack, as they would say. We're, we're all of a pint of Guinness. So first of all, two nights in Dublin is, is a very attractive thing for everyone to do. You can get from the centre of the town on, on a tram, straight to the race course, the bus will pick you up at the tram station, take, sends you straight there. You can buy a, an advance ticket in two days, which nowadays includes a pint. You can even go to Shelbourne on a Saturday night if you want, if you want yes. to join and you can have a burger and entrance fee and a pint for 20 euros or whatever it might be. So there's so much being offered that will get, attract people's attention. And it's, it's and I have to say it, the cost of doing all of those things is a lot less than one day of the races at the Cheltenham Festival. So you can have air flares on Ryanair. I mean, you can have a night and a really nice, two nights in a really nice hotel, because when you split the cost between a few lads, it doesn't come down. I mean, last year when we went, it was, I think we paid 280 euros ahead for flights, entrance to races, and, and hotel accommodation. And that's not bad, is it? For two days, two days racing and a, and a nice little weekend away. So it's affordable. You know, and people, people are, they are biting back a bit, aren't they, at the, at the prices that you see on these, these big days at English race courses at the moment. So, um, but I think I think I think all of those things put together, you wouldn't you wouldn't jump out and say, "Well, it's just a, it's just a, the timing of it is great." You know, um, it, it just wets the whistle before Cheltenham, doesn't it? And seeing yeah. those horses that, that you know are going to be running again in what four or five weeks, five or six weeks, it's uh, 
I think it's got everything for, for your racing fan. And, and I am a huge racing fan. You know, that's, what, that's, what we're, that's why any of us are doing it, really. Come to Dublin for the Dublin Racing Festival. Stay in the city. Sample the nightlife. Maybe the far right will have another extreme right and you can get a bit of looting done as well. Insert image of chaos in the streets of Dublin. I think it's calmed down now. I think we're, we're, we're all right. It is interesting to mention Cheltenham because, look, we all love it. We build to it. In a way, there's probably a danger that the Cheltenham Festival is going to consume the national hunt season and we're going to have to look at that going forward. But it's the thing we're excited about. But dearie me, it costs a fortune. Even yeah, 20, crazy, 20 quid a day to park your car, Carl. Yeah. Well, I, look, I mean, I've been going for 30, 30 odd years, at least. Um, I mean, it, it, I, think, I think this year might be the only year where I don't go for the week. Um, and obviously it's been going that way for a while. And I think you, you just, you feel like you're getting your pocket picked, don't you? That's the way you would describe it. And, and you don't, you wonder why you feel it's necessary because, I mean, they're clearly going to make an awful lot of money from Cheltenham. You know, it's hugely attended. But it isn't just that. It's the cost of hotels. It's the cost of, like you've just said there, parking your car. I mean, you know, you, you do, you know, I, what we do every year at Cheltenham, it's the same every year. We get there early. We go straight to the Guinness Temple. We'll be in the Guinness Temple until at least the first race is run. And... I tell you what, I mean, nowadays we're going to, we're going to have to have a few quid with us just to pay the price of Guinness, aren't we? Will it be hovering around eight pound a pint or something on those lines? I live in Spain and I don't pay more than two euros a pint. <laughs> so, for, so for me, for me paying eight, eight euros a pint or eight pound a pint, it's, it's unsavory, isn't it? It's, uh, Hold on a second. We're, in the, we're both in the European Union. You're in Spain. I'm in the Republic of Ireland. How are you getting a pint of Guinness for eight quid in a country that it's not? It's made here and we're paying way more than that. Even, even worse, I'm travelling to your neck of the woods on the weekend to pay £8. Or, the worst thing about Dublin is, is the way the prices creep up. You can go in a bar at 5 o'clock and it's however many euros and then at 7 o'clock it goes up two euros and at 9 o'clock it goes up even more. So, yeah, it, I just, I mean, it, it, it's, it, it's, it's impossible to even answer that question, isn't it? But, what, but, but certainly the, the, the original point you're making is Will race goers keep putting up with it? Will they keep going? I mean, I, for one, you know, look, I, I would feel very, very reluctant now to book a place for a week to book. I mean, I, I, I will come in and see my horse run on the Thursday, but will I be there on the Tuesday and Wednesday? No. When was the last time I missed the Tuesday and Wednesday? Probably 1991. You know, wow. it's, it's I, I just... I just don't feel the because because of course I'm bringing all my children with me. I'm bringing with friends with me. I, I just don't think that people really want to. They, they, they don't. They don't want to have that feeling of of love, they love being there, and it will be full because it attracts a huge press. Well, in fact, it wasn't full last year, was it? Was it the Wednesday when the attendance was was pretty poor? Um, the, they reduced I'm, they reduced the attendance for Friday, didn't they? I'm pretty certain um, the attendance fell on the Wednesday and Thursday combined by 28,000, and they were trying to yeah. say, oh, it's the rail strikes. It wasn't the rail strike. No, there's a reason for that. People are, there's a lot of people in the town centre who, who just go to the bars and, and won't go on the course. They'll, they'll sit and watch it on TV. You know, I mean, Cheltenham is absolutely buzzing, of course, it's that week. But for me, no, it's, uh, I'll be flying in on the Wednesday. I might well, come in on Wednesday night, and I'll be, I'll be racing Thursday. I probably won't even race Friday. So I'll, I'll literally will be going to see my horses here the first time in as many years as I can imagine. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's a step or two too far, isn't it? Like a lot of these things. 
I think you've got yeah. to, you've got to treat your you know your core audience with a bit more respect. And I think this also extends to the cost of hospitality. It's it, it's very very hard to to work out how it can possibly be as much as it, as it is. It, it, it's crazy money. It's bonkers, and also people aren't stupid. Like you can try and justify the fact that you've got different events taking place at Cheltenham, like the darts tournament and the snooker tournaments that go on there. Um, Dave Yates was talking about the fact that at the snooker tournament, I think it was January last year, a pint was six pounds. That same pint was eight pounds at the Cheltenham Festival. This is the same, this is the same venue, isn't it? That's Very same, same venue. Yeah. Very same venue. Yeah. Now there were people who were trying to justify this with, "Oh, well, you have to have more staff and." That's all nonsense. And anybody who knows anything about that stuff knows that that's nonsense. The reason you're charging six pounds for a pint at a snooker tournament and a darts tournament at the very same venue is because the crowd turning up to the snooker and the darts tournament would laugh in your face if you tried to charge them eight quid for a pint. Whereas the racing crowd just seemed to be a little bit more like, Asher, we're here and we'll do it. And you can get away yeah, with that think- to a certain extent, but you, you push I mean, it too I, I far. Go in the Guinness Village at the Jalman Festival is part of the experience, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's 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 what probably the, and this is probably where it where it's where it's. I mean, you've touched on it before. I'm in the Guinness Village for whether it's the November meeting or it's it's the the festival, and I'm chatting to so many different racing people. If you on score, racing fans, but also the trainers, jockeys, all sorts of people, and they're all gathered around there. So it's a it's a, it's a great place where people want to go and and can really enjoy a proper atmosphere of being there. Oof, you know, I mean, do do they want to take run a chance of ruining that for for the next generation of people? Because I can assure you, I have sons who are, you know, 19, 21, 23, 25, 27, that they don't have the money to spend on going to racing for two or three days or three or four days, even the one day, you know, that when when the paying rounds, there's a round of the six or seven of them and the rounds are coming to 50 pounds. You know, it's, it, it can be crazy, can't it? It's just normal people. They can't, they can't afford that type of thing, you know. Um, and other people think it's outrageous. I'm not paying it. So yeah. it's it, it's it is a real shame because when you actually, if you're in that bar, you will see that around the back of the bar they have got pre-poured as many pints of Guinness as you can possibly drink, and so there's no shortage of supply. They're 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 they're, they're, they're sending them out, sending them out, sending them out, sending them out, sending them out. So you know, I think you can probably afford to chip a little bit off the price, and that would go down well. Be a nice headline, wouldn't it? Dave Yates forces down price to Guinness. <laughs> Dave Yates and Cravat forces <laughs> down right. price to Guinness. But I mean, Dave is one of the good guys. Like Dave has been calling this stuff out for quite some time, and I, I really admire the stance that he's taken on it. Because the easiest thing in the world to do is not criticize British racing, not criticize Irish racing, and just shill for the sport. And just, oh, it's all great, it's fantastic. The hard thing to do is to stand up and say, no, this is wrong. Racing, in, in, in essence, it discourages an opinion, doesn't it? It extends to just to the broadcasting of racing. If you, if you ask the wrong question to the wrong trainer or the wrong jockey, then will you get asking the question again? You know, the, the, the elements of critique, are you allowed, and is it encouraged to provide a proper critique of, of, of a race. And you are seeing these barriers getting broken down. I mean, you know, Ruby is incredible with, it, with his broadcasting talent. And when you see the way he will, and, you know, in racing terms, you would say he would call out a bad, a bad ride or something like that. Well, it isn't calling out a bad ride. It's, it's presenting a critique, isn't it? It's, it's, yeah. it's explaining, as you say, in football, they, they, they pay God knows how many people to comment on what they've seen. And in racing, that really is discouraged. And again, it, it very much as 
I mean, certain certain trainers might say that owners should be seen and not heard. You know, and and and, and again, they're not particularly encouraged to to formulate and express an opinion. But if you've been involved in in the race industry at, at, at the coalface, so to speak, for 10, 15 years, how much have you got to say? How much have you learned? An awful lot. You know, you, you have an opinion that, that's that, that's you know, it, it's an opinion which is brought through experience and what you've seen, what you've done, and all of the different things that that perhaps they prefer to to lie without really being touched upon. And I think for me that the more you, you've touched upon it just then, you said it's the third biggest sport in the country, um, attendance-wise, broadcast-wise, the whole thing. Well. Let's open it up a little bit. Let's let, let's let's talk about everything that goes on there a bit more. Let's you know let, let's let's explain rides. Let's let's criticize rides. Let's let's talk about why why the more you do in a modern world, the more you express opinions and, and keep everything away from perhaps dark corners, then the better you you have in attracting this so-called new audience that that that, that they feel. And I think when they talk about new audience, they're talking about new generations of people. To, to love the sport and to get involved in it. And you have to recognise that new generations do things in a different generational way. They're on podcasts, they're on Twitter, they're on mm. all sorts of different Instagram things and various other things. So the more the sport opens up and engages with those people, then the more it will become popular, surely. It, it's a no-brainer, really. I think in terms of, of punditries and, and for broadcasters, like mentioning Ruby is a really interesting one because of that fearlessness to <laughs> criticise. He's not personally attacking... Jack Kennedy when he criticized his ride on Jerry Kalam in the Down Royal Champion Chase. He's just pointing out that wasn't Jack Kennedy's best ride and he nearly got him beat. And that will have motivated Jack to make sure that he rides that horse better going forward. And look, Jack Kennedy's probably the best jockey riding on both sides of the RC. The guy's absolutely phenomenal. But Ruby doesn't have that fear because of his status. And what I find interesting about this is like I do a lot of work with talk sports. And I'm very proud that we get to cover horse racing on talk sport too to the extent that we do. But Rory Jennings comes on after me. And oftentimes, if I'm presenting that show, you stay on to do two races on the social. And Rory Jennings is getting stuck in in criticism to Chelsea players. So he's a big Chelsea fan. But any footballer who didn't pull their socks up that weekend, he will give them both barrels. And he'll call out tactical ineptitude of managers as well, as will a lot of football pundits. Now, if we can get that level of criticism in football, why are we so afraid to do it in horse racing? And, it, and it's, it's a real question, isn't it? It's a real question. I think, I think it's something that... You know, what do you want? You want more people talking about the game. You want more people engaging with the game. And you won't do that if you don't ask questions. You know, you, you, you have to... And you touched upon there the fact that, well, okay, that Jack Kennedy may have really, really enjoyed listening to that, what you would call criticism. And criticism doesn't mean that you're criticising someone. Criticism is, yeah. is, 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 is a much broader term. Which, which is, is offering a critique of, of what you've seen, but you've got you know you, you have a situation there where you, there, 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 are, there are good and bad elements to it. But the important thing is to is to allow somebody to speak freely about what they've seen, and that lends it that then encourages further debate, further discussion, further argument, and it, more than anything, it educates people. So when you have somebody, how many times over the years have we had prominent ex jockeys who have been involved in in, in racing? But they're, but they're not educating people in the way that Ruby's doing it. He, he is talking through the race after saying, this is, this is an error that was made. This was a gap that was left. If, if people had come, had come stand side, so at, that, at, that, at that moment, she accelerated 
a little bit too early in the race, you're going to save it. And all of that is educational for the public. And it's not about how people in racing should feel about it, because people in racing is a description that extends to the whole of the racing community, all of the different people that love racing. And for them to be able to, be, to hear the, this incredible critique about a, a, a breakdown of a race, how it was run, how it was, how it was won, and how it was lost, more importantly, you know, and what could perhaps happen if it was done differently. That's incredibly educational, and it's something that should be promoted and encouraged, because that is the sort of thing that, that attracts more people and gets more people talking about what they've seen. I often think there's a fear amongst directors or producers that they don't want an overly complicated view of a race. They want a simplified, dumbed-down view. And so those ex-jockeys who come in are almost encouraged to talk down to people and, and that can then come across as condescending or patronizing. When in actual fact, we all want to know more. Like the reason we're watching Road to Cheltenham is because we want that insight from Ruby. We want to know what Lydia thinks uh, about how a certain race was won. The reason you're going after those interviews with various different connections is because you want to know their thoughts. George Gorman said something very, very interesting about the your race, uh, John Bond's defeat. Said it wasn't James Bowen giving him a bad ride. It was that John Bond was confused because of how he'd been ridden by Nico, and that Nico rode him very, very differently to the way Aiden Coleman did. Whereas James Bowen's style is very similar to Aiden Coleman's, and that if you change a jockey and ask that horse to do things differently, the horse then becomes confused by it. He's expecting to be forced into a fence, and when he's not being forced into it, he's then prone to make a mistake. Now that's an opinion that George has expressed as a former jockey on this show. He could be wrong. But it's a fascinating insight that wasn't something I'd thought of, and I thought put a very different perspective on, on that but, but, overall. Yeah, yeah but, it, it, but it, again, it's a critique, isn't it? You know, and that's yeah. the important thing. And you've touched upon the analogy with football and other sports, and, and racing is lagging so far behind through, through probably constitutional, old-fashioned uh, you know, viewpoints and, and, and limits placed on broadcasters, who I'm sure really want to be, be looking at things in a different way. You, 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 you really will, you know, in, in just, just huge, hugely change the face of how it's broadcast and how people engage with the sport if you bring it into line with those modern sports. Talk to, talk to all of the participants, critique what, what they do. You know, there's, it's, you know, it's, there is so much more for racing to be, to give and to, and to discuss and to be heard than what we're seeing at the moment, which is, you know, it as it, 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 shaking it all up and getting it all going and getting people in the modern world interested in the sport. I'd say that was the, the biggest thing that anybody could do. Because, of course, it, it does, as, as I've already touched upon, it encourages debate. People say, no, that's, I'm not having that, that's not right. But when it's being, when, when, when it's being explained to people, then they, can, they, they, they understand a little bit more about where their money's gone or why they've got yeah. money in the pockets and all of those other things. But, yeah, perhaps we will see. Perhaps we will see now. Now, now it's now. Now you've seen how perhaps successfully received it's been. Perhaps you will see a change in that. It's um, you know. I think. I mean, there, there is certainly there's a huge amount of openness from trainers, from 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 people that are involved in the sport. So it, it would be interesting to see. You know, a, a, perhaps a, a much more critical, a much more expansive view of of, of how racing works and how races are broken down. When I was getting into the sport, which would have been the early noughties, I'm so old. I loved Channel 4's coverage as far as I was concerned. That was the gold standard. They were just absolutely superb. And of course, Ted Walsh was a major part of that for the big festivals. But trainers were very apprehensive to share opinions. You could see how guarded they were. 
And it was yeah. really John Gosden and then Aidan O'Brien embracing the media more. Paul Nichols would have been very good at that too, to be fair. Willie Mullins would have been very guarded in the in the old days. I think they just were skeptical of what the media, why do you want to ask me a question and how are you going to twist it? I think that's what, what the trainers and jockeys were fearful very, very, yeah, very possibly. But, and, and I think from my own experience of, of coming into the sport as an outsider, I, I, I would have experienced that personally. You know, I mean, I, examples would be, so I'm, pay, I'm paying bills and I've got, a, I've, got, I've got a commercial agreement with someone who's trained my horses. You know, I'm, I'm not, he's not my family or, or a friend of mine or whoever it might be. And they they would they, they they would have come perhaps the more the more sort of established old fashioned approach would be well the owner just gets told how much he wants how much we want to tell him and whether that be about the extent of an injury or why a horse is, is is running or isn't running and that's the way perhaps things have always been done but you have a different breed of owner a different type of person that's involved often people that may have been maybe very bright and maybe really keen to learn or interested interested in what's going on. And I remember ringing, I would ring vets because I would get all my vets bills and I'd ring my vets and I'd say, oh, this, 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 this trainer is telling me the source has got a sprained ankle. Can you explain to me what, what, what this sprained ankle is and you know, how long will this horse be off for? What's the problem? What's the treatment? And the vets would absolutely be delighted to tell me in exact detail. They would send me copies of scans. They would talk to me about what's happened, the best treatments. Then when the trainer would find out, all hell would break loose. What do you mean you 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 phoned the vet? What do you mean he's told you that? Because they would would have preferred to give you the sprained ankle version of, of what may have happened. And again, that so that sort of attitude was was embodied in the sport for an awful long time, you know. Um, and it, and arguably it can be hard to shake it up. But you are seeing a, a much different type of trainer, aren't you? You know, all, all the, these these incredibly you know switched on young trainers that that, that you're seeing nowadays, and even the Perhaps the older trainers, I think we touched upon before, who, who aren't quite, you know, as, as comfortable with today's modern communications as, as, as the younger ones are. This is when sometimes they get tripped up because they say the wrong thing or they say too much or they, or they say something that everyone knows now and then comes back. We touched upon Constitution Hill as an example, perhaps, with the suggestion that he was going to be a gold cup runner um, as opposed to, you know, and the backlash from that when he's running in in champion hurdles but so some ability but i think you have to be if you're going to engage at that level in this type of a sport with its popularity with its fan base the way forward is, is, is for people to engage as best they can with communications in the modern world they all need to come on your show and <laughs> we're happy to have them we're happy to facilitate all trainers paul nichols come on back to the final furlong very soon um, you gave an interview to the racing post last year and you said that your fees for the previous year were £121,500 and that the prize money you won was 94000 Sure. That, yeah, that just yeah. doesn't... What is, the, what is your, your stance <laughs> on that? Uh, that doesn't add up. What is your stance on prize money in British racing and the current state of British racing? Yeah, I mean, dear me, that's, that's a question for a whole, whole episode in itself, isn't it? I think, I mean, prize money is, you know, we're... we're we're picking up less than we're picking up 20, 30 years ago. It's harder to come by. Um, I won horses, won two races for me this year. Both races are less than £5,000. How much am I paying a month? Well, you know, it's it's going to be it's going to be nudging, you know, it's what, vets fees, entry fees. It's £200 for a jockey to ride your horse. You know, it's, it's a very, very expensive business. And I think that people, 
you know, there's sort of an argument that, well, you don't go into racing thinking that you have to run a profit and loss account. But I think when you've been in racing for a while, you do feel that way. You think to yourself, well, hang on, you know, what level of enjoyment can I get from spending this type of money? And, you know, you, you, you will look at it. And I think that the, the point you're making there, I actually sat down and, and it's not something I would always have done, but I was, I'd sat down at the end of the season and I would have written down all of my costs, where the prize money's come in, how much I paid in the training fees, vets fees and so forth. And it may even have been worse than you've mentioned then because I don't think I, I included losses on horses that I've purchased. So, you know, will you, will you sustain that over a period? Will people continue to do it? Because one, one thing, I mean, I'm talking to someone who's owned horses now for what, 12, 12 years individually, large, you know, large chunks, at least 100% or 50% of horses. And I am at the point where I am, I've significantly watered down my interests to a much smaller number of horses and even running a few syndicates for people and things like that. And the cost is it's got a huge bearing on that because you, you, you run out of experiences to have. So you say to yourself, well, look, I love my first challenge winner. I love my first entry winner. I love my first big handicap winner. I've loved my grading winners. I've loved my grade one winners. What are you chasing now? What do you want to do now? Do you want to keep on spending that money? And this is another challenge for sports, isn't it? Because mm. how many owners do you see fall away? Um, and what are the reasons for doing it? And obviously, we, we, we've seen recently the huge news which has come out of Gordon Elliott there with, yeah. um, with the Browns. Oh, and, you know, you, this isn't the first time you've seen it. The Roonies were, were, were huge purchases of horses not that long ago and, and left, left National Hunt Racing very, very quickly. You know, what, why, why are people, you know, I mean, you, you, you can see countless people who have been huge in racing and have had horses after horses and success after success and they've gone, haven't they? They're not, they're not there anymore, you know, and, and they were good people who really enjoyed racing, but no one, no one sort of asks those questions. Why, why aren't these people involved in racing anymore? Why, why did they decide to call it a day? Because sure as, sure as, you know, as you can see, you've just, you've just seen these, these, these huge purchases in Ireland who have now sort of walked away from racing. And, and I don't think, I mean, we'll accept their, their, their reasoning, but there may be a lot more to it than that, than politically and, and sensitively. They really don't want to say, you know, who knows? I mean, that might well be the case. But there are, yeah. I mean, Graham Wiley walked away from racing, didn't he? You know, the Sullivans are hugely reduced. You've got, there's so many names that you can name and continue to name. And, you, and, and no one sort of says, well, is it, is it almost accepted that people will, will have a, a very limited lifespan and they won't want to really ca carry on and invest in the sport? So, you know, perhaps talk to those people, perhaps find out from them why it is that they, I mean, for me, I can answer the question very simply. You know, I, I've got to a point where racing has changed so much over the period that, that I've been involved in racing. I was buying points, winning points by presenting for 40,000 euros. You know, I, 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 I graduated from buying those types of horses when prices started doubling, trebling and so on, to buying horses in the second-hand market and then buying horses through, through Richard in, in France and so on for, for a lot less money and, and challenge myself to see if we could get the same sort of success by, by you know, carrying on spending that same sort of, those same levels of money. But the, the platform, the, 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 the face of racing, the, the price of everything has been driven up and the returns haven't been. You know? And from someone like me, I would say, 
what I've been doing, which effectively is punching above your weight in winning and, and competing at graded level and, and championship levels and, 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 and at festival levels with horses, it really, it really is going to be very, very hard to achieve that going forward um, you know, in, in today's marketplace. So do I want to go carry on spending lots of money and, and not getting the same sort of levels of, of success and not getting the same rewards through prize money um, as you were in the past? And then when you bolt onto that, the, the, the very important question of, you know, of, of, of the, the political climate and the situation with affordability checks, and being able to have a real good punt on your horse, which was so easy to do if you wind the clock back five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten years. Now it's almost impossible. Maybe, maybe you'll find some really good bookmakers who will lay a bet, but it's, it's hard to even get on a course. You know, so, and, and the exchanges are much the same. So you sort of think, certainly from my point of view, you think, well, the, the game has changed significantly. Is it saying that it doesn't want people like me or people who, who want to try and achieve better things on a, on a, on a more selective budget and so forth. Um, they don't want you to have a bet anymore on your horses. And you, you look at all that and you say, ah, it, it, it's, it, it doesn't have a, a future, does it? It doesn't have that same appeal. Um, and, you know, I, I think, I think, I think so, again, speaking specifically on my point, from my point of view, I feel I've achieved pretty much everything I ever wanted to achieve. In fact, a lot more than I ever felt I, I could achieve. So for me to carry on in racing in the long term is, is what am I chasing? I'm not really chasing anything. I've, I've, I've done most things. So I'm enjoying, you know, on a much smaller scale what I'm doing. Um, and going, going forward, I, I, I don't, I, you know, you can't, you can't sort of persuade people with, with reasonable intelligence you, you can't give them a very, very compelling reason to get involved in ownership of horse racing, can you? Um, some people with, with, with huge amounts of money, they, they, but even then I feel there's no one who really sort of offers guidance and, and, and experience. There's no, there's no one who with an experienced tale to tell who could perhaps warn other owners of the pitfalls of being involved in the racehorse owners association don't do it, do they? They don't say, well, hang on, just be careful how much have you got to spend? Maybe you'd be better spending it wisely. What about spending it with this person, that person? Because you see a lot of people who come in, whoosh, great big spend, disappeared. They had no success at all. They never even got to to have, you know, the the wonderful experiences that they could have had. They they sort of walk away from racing thinking, well, that left a great big hole in my my bank balance, didn't it? And I didn't really have, have anything positive on the on the on the back of it. So, yeah, the, 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 there's. I wouldn't. I wouldn't like to sort of leave the conversation with, with on, on a negative negative point. I'm talking personally about my own experiences, and they, and they will be the, 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 the incredible highs, experiences, people I've met, not just within racing, whether it be jockeys or trainers or administrators, all all of the people that I've met who are fans of racing, who've engaged with, spoke to, had drinks in bars with, spoke to in betting shops up to into, into, into village streets and all the rest of it. My experiences have been overwhelmingly positive. I'm a massive racing fan and I feel incredibly privileged to have sort of lived that, that through those experiences that I've achieved and done what I've done. But, but so, so, so it's a positive message that you'd send out there. You can't, you can't have a discussion on this, can you, without touching upon the obvious, you know, the obvious pitfalls, the obvious negative aspects of, 
of, of why racing has turned out the way it has and, and why there's no proper reward for people who are spending their money doing it. Um, any sort of pro rata, sensible, you know, um, argument that you can say to somebody, basically you're telling people to lose lots of money. <laughs> and, and, and intelligent people, you know, whatever their spirit is and whatever their, their you know, their, they will get to a point where they say, oh, I, I haven't really enjoyed that. I could have bought a villa in Spain. I could have bought a, <laughs> you know, yeah. a, a, a nice boat in the marina. I could have traveled the world, you know, all, all the different things and possibilities that are open to people. So, so yeah, I, I accept that's a bit of a mixed message, but it, I mean, it serves you right for asking the question, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we we embrace we embrace openness on the Final Four podcast. Uh, how do you make a small fortune out of racing? Start with a big yeah, one. Start with a big one. <laughs> uh, um, as part of that, you did say, "Does British racing want me?" Like, have you ever asked yourself that question? Is that something you've actually felt? Ah, <sighs> oh, look, I think I think you know there's there's there are certain elements of. I mean, I I have been incredibly well treated by organizations like the jockey club you know who, 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 who the people who are head of racing in my local tracks have been yeah. brilliant and, 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 and have invited me to fantastic events and and and, and always welcome me on the course so so look of course the, the, those people themselves that that statement would not would not extend to those types of people they've been great they've been you know they they look we, we weren't born in the Cotswolds from from you know very very Wonderful, eccentric, gentrified families. We we were we we're northern people who who you know my, my, my parents none of my parents have ever owned a home you know before before we, before we were there you know so so we are coming from a from a different sort of perspective and and we, we've been you know, we've been warmly welcomed to an awful lot of these types of things. What I would say is from a from a perspective of finance, from a perspective of that's the BHA of, coming to shut you up. That's what it is. That's what it is. They're, 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 they're pretty, pretty efficient. The like, cut him off. Cut him off. Right. I, I think, I think you, you, what you would say is just that, wouldn't you? Because you, you, see, you see the game changing an awful lot. And you, and you think, and it goes back to the point I made half an hour ago, whatever it was, when, when I first expressed an interest in racing, first was going to the races, all of the people I was chatting to there, they all had a little, little toenail of some description, didn't they? In the horses, or it was a community. It was much more deep rooted in perhaps the working class, which is something that the national hunt racing, quite conversely to the people who run it, it it's always been a working man's sport. From the, the, the great Irish people who come over to Cheltenham every year, to the people from the from Scotland and from the north of England, and from all over that travel to watch the racing, and so you, you know you sort of say to yourself, well, those people they're they're the fabric of the, and the backbone of racing, aren't they? And you've got to have room within the racing community for the the smaller level entrance, at entrance level, at, at, at the highest level as well. And again, we took on the horse that beat us. And so we, we, we first and second at the Channel Festival last year. Neither of those horses cost more than forty thousand pounds. You know, you can do it, can't you? You know, and, and I think the point I was making there was it's becoming very, very hard to do. Because you can't justify to your to your family, to your to your own sense of of you know financial competence, can you keep on spending this type of money? And what what is your risk and reward and what is your what, what because 
once I've said before, once you have experienced the the great things that racing's got to offer, you know, you do want to carry on doing it. But you, you, you it gets to a point where you where you, you your logic kicks in and, and common sense kicks in and you, you get, you know, grouchy or upset about racing for two and a half thousand pounds, don't you? And whatever it might be. So I think anyone with any sense would say that racing isn't really appealing, is it to the masses? You've talked about affordability checks. You actually talked about actually quitting the sport because of them. You're a hugely successful better. You obviously like to have a bet. How much of a concern are affordability checks to you? Not only the restrictions being imposed on people's freedom to be able to do what they choose to do with their own money, but also the damage that it can do to the sport, given the fact that horse racing is mainly funded by the levy. Yeah, I mean, just touching upon that, I gave an interview to the Racing Post, uh, which was about, which was a general interview about my, my involvement in racing and where I was going and why I wasn't particularly, you know, um, well, downsizing is probably the best way to describe it. But at the time, they were running affordability check headlines. So the headline was quits racing because of the affordability. There's a whole series of things. And as you can see, I haven't quit. I'm still enjoying racing on a, on a small scale with some nice horses. But. To answer your question, I mean, I, 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 on, on so many levels, everything about it is wrong. And, you know, you do not vote people into power to restrict your civil liberties. It, it's, it, it, I don't want to go too political on this, but, you know, it, these, the, the people in Parliament have, have been voted there by the people of this country. And for them to say that, that they, they have an agenda to restrict the, the, the freedoms of what, what people can and can't spend their money on is absolutely outrageous. And, and, it, and it's extending to other things, whether it be the red, the sweet, smoking cigarettes, smoking vapes, various other things. But, but the, the percentage of people that enjoy the freedom to spend the elements of their wages on betting or, or whatever it might be, that it's 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 a God-given right to do whatever you choose to do with the money that you've earned for yourself, and that you should not have any, even the even the tiniest. Nobody should have or think they should have the power to restrict your ability to do that. So that's that 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 would be my very very firm thoughts on on, on the principle of this. But I, but also I think that you know again, and and racing seems to have woken up to this quite late in the day, but the the effect on on the levy. The effect on the funds that will go into racing will, will be equally, you know, it, it could be devastating because, you know, it, the, the long and short of it is that, is that the you need a, you need the largest amount possible to be traded because of the way that racing is funded and the racing is set up. You need the, the the biggest amount of and that amount of money is going to be significantly impeded upon because whether it's people who are using different types of bookies, people who go abroad for bookies, people who go to the black market for bookies. All of those different things, that money is not going into the levy. And when it doesn't go into the levy, there will be a huge drop. And if there's a huge drop, well, how is racing going to be funded under its current model? And, you know, again, it, it's, it's, it, it, it's so simple the, the, to see the potential damage to the sport. The, it, it, it doesn't even really need discussing, does it? It's, it's incredible that people will say that, you know, you, you're going to bring in a policy which is going to be so damaging to the third biggest sports in the country. And that policy is based upon, uh, you know, an, an ill-informed judgment that you have the right to tell people what they can and can't do with their money. And, and I don't, I'm sorry, I mean, I have, I have every sympathy for, for people who have health problems of any, any type of description. And but I think hanging the hat on 
the suggestion that the, the compulsive gamblers, the, the people, that there's terrible amounts of harm. I mean, that, that, that level of harm, you know, it has to be proportionate in some way. And it, and it really isn't, you know, and I'm not, I'm not expressing a lack of sympathy for people in those positions, but there are people who have all sorts of problems all, all over. And there are different ways to solve those problems. Impeding other people's ability to freely go about their business isn't, isn't the right way to look at solving those types of problems. So, and I think, again, I think, you know, the, the, the corporations who are running the big business, the, big, the large bookmakers, the, they, they, they have been changing the way that they operate now for a number of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, obviously in reaction to large fines and various sort of things that, 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 that they've had to deal with and, and judgments that have been made in the courts. So this, the, the introduction of this isn't a new thing. It's, it's become very, very difficult to bet freely for a long time now. But I wouldn't be talking about perhaps people who are betting in larger volumes, like perhaps myself and, and, and so forth. It's, the, it's, it's my taxi driver friend who can't get his bet on, um, who, who, puts, I mean, who puts a 50 pound, 25 pound each way bet on, and they, they tell him that they close his account before the bet has even run, because they say they've done a credit check on it. And it says, well, he's a pensioner. He's a pensioner and he does he does tax runs taxis as a side business. He hasn't got lots of historical accounts to fall back on. But it's not for them to tell him what he can do when he's 70 odd years old, but he's been doing it for since he was 16, how he has to change his life. It's 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 incredible that people feel that they have they have that they have that they have that gift. You know, it's 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 empowering and it's more I'm afraid it's just more madness when you when you look at policy and how people are, how people feel that they, that they that they have the right to tell people how they should or shouldn't live their lives. I think um, you know again I could I could I could talk about this for some time, but I, I, you just have to. At the moment, they're saying. You, I, mean, you, I mean, you've seen this with lots of policy and governments over the years. But they're now saying that people want people want checks to be frictionless. They don't want checks. They do not want checks. It's not you know the. We, first of all, we know that there's no such thing as frictionless checks, but they don't want checks at all. Let, let, let's not change the rhetoric on it as though somebody has suddenly accepted that any of this is acceptable, because it isn't. It, it, it genuinely isn't. So, yeah, it's, um, I think, again, I mean, you know, let, let's say I was 18, 19, 18, 19, 20 moving forward, I'd be, uh, I, I, I wouldn't be encouraged, would I, to... To be engaging in this sport from a better perspective, because I wouldn't be allowed to do it. <laughs> You're referring to comments made by the new CEO of the Betting and Gaming Council, who decided to come out with this yeah. about how punters want frictionless checks. I'm looking forward to seeing what Michael can do in that position, and I'd like to think that he will show strong leadership. That worries me, because that is a disingenuous line. That's twisting the what has been said. Nobody yeah. who has been fighting against this, and there have been a number of. Uh, of betters who have put themselves in the position to fight on the front lines of this, way more than the British Horse Racing Authority have, and this is the very existence of British racing that is being fought for. It is deeply frustrating to be told that a sitting MP advised the board of the BHA, you must speak out about the affordability checks, and, and before the gambling white paper is even published, you must have a, an opposition to this before it's published, because once it is, you can't undo it. And they went, nah, it'll be fine. Nah, it'll be fine. Like that kind of thing is is very galling, and I I really I know, applaud. It's, 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 
I, I really applaud Devin yeah. Truesdale and, and the team at the Jockey Club who came up with that petition and, and you know, for the criticism that there was of it, that criticism was way out of pocket. That's one of the fastest petitions to ever reach 100,000 signatures. This is a fight for the survival of British racing and it's, it's, it's worrying, it's worrying when the rhetoric is, is being changed like that. Like, who are you servicing? Because you're not fighting for us. No, I mean, I mean, in in political terms, this is this is what you see an awful lot of the time, you know. So, so that there's there's a, there, there is an approach, and that's, I think a lot of the problem here is that is that people aren't really used to seeing how politics works and how 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 arguments are made and so forth. Mm. And you know, someone someone may have said to this this chap who knows, they may have said, "Look, this is coming through. The best way the best way of arguing this point is to is to is to is to go on a frictionless argument or to go on this argument." Because you will get some some return off that point, you know. I mean, this. I mean, look, I don't, I don't have any inside knowledge on that, but, it, but, it, but my experience in life in general, and particularly in that, in that political end, it, it often shows that if they are arguing that, you can't suggest you're wrong to suggest that these people are absolutely clueless. Because if they are, we are in real trouble. <laughs> so, so I, I would perhaps take something on those lines, ask me. But I just don't know. I mean, my my experience in, in other walks of life is that. Once they've they've made these decisions, they just push them through, and they really don't listen to the noise that's going on around them. So let's hope the noise is loud enough, and particularly maybe we we have an election before any of this comes through, and the whole thing disappears. You know that would be my biggest hope. Let's <laughs> let's let's hear from the opposition. Let's see if they're prepared to 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 run alongside the DHA and all the people that are important to to racing and the industry as a whole, and say that if they if they if they they're successful. You know, obviously, a general election, they will not be bringing this nonsense in. That would be the best thing for them to come out with. In the era of the super trainer, where William Mullins and Gordon Elliott are dominating the Cheltenham Festival, where Paul Nichols is training big winners and Nicky Henderson being, winning the big Saturday races in the UK, what is the attraction for you of, as an owner of having horses and training with Richard Hobson? Well, the, 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 again, there are, there are so many attractions. I mean, again, I think when, when you go into horse, horse ownership, you you... You go there with your eyes wide open, you're very inexperienced, you really don't know a great deal about what happens in yards and how they do it and so forth. But if you're if you're in it for the period of time that I've been in it and you're unable to to have learned an awful lot about it, then you've not been engaging properly with the sport and, and, and seeing how things work and so forth. So I've I've been in yards that have had hundred horses, I've been in yards that have seventy horses, sixty horses. I've seen the way the way they care for, how how people can struggle to you know, to, to I mean, certainly, obviously, with staffing and, and all the other things, it's almost impossible situation to to have huge amounts of horses and, and look after them as well as they possibly can be. So, for me, from all of the things that I've learned over the years, when I'm looking at a trainer, I want first and foremost, I want someone who cares for horses. I want someone who's a horseman through and through. Um, I've I've reduced my training, the people who train for me, really to. To Richard and to Christian Williams um, over the last few years, um, both of whom would be described as as total horsemen. They know every inch of a horse. They know. They know. And, and more importantly, and, and certainly, you asked me about Richard, so I'll talk about him. You know, Richard is is incredibly dedicated. He's obsessive in his detail. He knows every inch of every horse. He only has 12, 14 horses, and. The care that those horses get and the condition that those horses are produced in day in, day out, every single, he knows every single thing about every one of them. The veterinary care is, for, is, is, is superb. So if I'm looking at a horse and I want to get the absolute maximum best out of them, 
then that's that's how I, that's how I would like a horse to be cared for. Um, and I also, because because of the way I, I I like to do things, good communication is incredibly important. So I need to have someone who's able to discuss with me how how the horse should run, where it should be running, where we think we should go, how we should plan out a season, whether we should open face the horse, how, how if we have fugitives, a perfect example, a great big horse, let's not do too much with him when he's younger. We know he's going to be a chaser. Let's 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 get this horse to fulfil all of his potential. And Richard is someone who who's, who consistently does that. He manages to get horses to overachieve rather than to. And the amount of injuries these horses get are very 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 small. You know you 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 and and, and you you have you have you have complete trust in the job that they do. So there's no lies. There's no nonsense there's no the horses are being cared for incredibly well you, you can go into that yard it's immaculate the skin on all the horses is incredible and you know you get you're giving yourself half a chance you know you, you and, and don't forget richards for me he's trained what multiple grade winners multiple listed winners inexpensive horses you know um, you know he, he's he's and he's consistently done it um with very, very few horses and certainly with no large investment into his yard. He, he'd, he'd be very happy if someone came along and said, here's half a million pounds to spend. <laughs> but he's just an outstanding, he's an outstanding individual, he's an outstanding trainer. And I think, you know, I, I wouldn't swap him for any of those people who are training hundreds of horses. I think he's, he's at least an equal and, and, and if not an awful lot better. There's a ring in the door. Oh, absolutely. He's going to be putting that on his bio on the website now. Because our mutual yeah, friend, Ross Malaris, has chosen... <laughs> our mutual friend, Ross Malaris, has chosen him to be the trainer of, of the, the hopefully, the great Roger. Uh, we've already seen some training videos of him. That's true, yeah. But he was talking about the, the level of fitness that Richard is able to attain with his horses and how he prepares his horses very differently to someone like back in the day, Martin Pipe, for example, when it was all about stripping them down and having them lean, mean, and ready to go. And he could get those horses to race consistently, but maybe the longevity of their careers wasn't quite there uh, with some of the, the top horses that he had, whereas Richard's level of fitness just seems to be very, very different. It's, it was really intriguing to hear that aspect of things, but how each trainer will approach things very differently. But the fitness level that... Richard's horses seem to be a little bit more bulky. Um, they're able to to pile on that little bit more muscle. And, and maybe they you, take the race you used better. to see that. You used to see that in the old days, didn't you? With horses, you know, they, mm. they, they looked strong as bulls, didn't they? Rather than lean and and super fit. And yeah, I mean, I mean, I think as much as I touched upon before, the skin on the horses is incredible. I mean, they're, even in the middle of winter, when they shouldn't be looking like that. But the but the if you send a horse into Richard's yard and then you look at him on the day he's arrived and you look at him two years later you'll see a completely different horse. You know the top line, the the the, the bulk out in all the right places, the the everything that they're given and how they're treated. They're all out having picks of grass. They're all getting the best vitamins. They're getting every 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 little need that they have, whether it be having their their backs shots, whether it be you know having. And also having them tra them trained in a, in a sensitive fashion, you know, they're 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 going up. They're not they're not rushed to do things too soon, which you often see. And also, I think more importantly, how, how well horses are checked and looked after. You know, not only how they're fed, but if if in 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 a great big yard, 
you might you know you might not spot might you uh, the, the beginnings of a tendon injury or a tiny little issue but if you have someone who's looking and checking your horses so many times a day knowing them knowing their the moods knowing the the way the way they the way they get into getting into the mindset of the horse as well physically it's, it's a huge thing because you'll see you'll see how robust and strong and, and how you know you may describe it as fitness, but it's well-being is the way I would describe it. The horse looking very, very well and, 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 and on great terms with itself. And when you, when you see that, you're filled with confidence in knowing your horses are being looked after. And you can see, you only have to look at the longevity of some of the horses that have passed through that yard and how many, how many races they've won, how, many, how much consistency they've shown and how they still enjoyed running years and years after they first arrived there. And I think as an owner, those things become more and more important to you. Um, some people like different things, don't they? They like to, you know, have, have a lot of fun and go for, go, go for meals and play with a golf and do all that type of thing. And I think, I think the more, you know, there's, there's, there's something for everybody, of course there is. But the more, you know, there's a competitive person and there's someone who cares about the animals, you, 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 you want to see them overachieving achieve as much as they possibly can. You want to see them being cared for properly and you want to see them looking well. And if they look well and they're in good spirits, they often run well, don't they? Absolutely. I've got two more questions for you. Is that Trish? Sorry. Three more questions for you. Trish wants me to... I can't, I can't ask this. This is against YouTube guidelines. I can't say that word. Why did the champion trainer Paul Nichols call you a see you next Tuesday? <laughs> well, I, I think we touched upon this before. He couldn't even spell it right, could he, poor fella? <laughs> we, 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 we genuinely don't know. We, we, I'm, I'm, and I'll, I'll go back to the political response I've said before. I'm a huge admirer of Paul Nichols, genuinely. He's, you know, the Paul Nichols, Nicky Henderson... They're the only ones keeping the Irish at bay at the moment, aren't they? So we've, we've got to appreciate them and enjoy them. I think, um, yeah, we, we've, we've, we've spoken a few times and we've had a good laugh about the whole thing. So I can only imagine he was in a funny mood that day. Paul Nichols in a funny mood? No, never. Yeah, yeah um, I'm not biting on that one. <laughs> we tried. I tried, Trish. We I tried. tried. Uh, <laughs> talk to me about Rubicon Racing. Yeah, yeah, no. So that was set up as a as a platform just to just to really sort of invite people along. You, you, you know, I, I haven't got too many friends who've got ten grands and five grands to buy little bits of horses. And when I'm when I'm in a situation where I'm reducing and cutting down my own, you know, individual spend on horses, I felt well, look, it would be a waste if I stop buying horses or stop bringing them through. And so we just set, we set that up as an opportunity for people to perhaps get on board and, and have a little interest in a couple of the horses. Every horse that's, been, that's, that's, that's gone through that has won. They've all done very well. The horse that won on Sunday at um, the Doncaster looks a really exciting prospect going forward. So it's really just, just an, a, a way of me to, I mean, I buy the horses, I own the horses, and I, I invite people in to have a little, bit of a, you know, a little bit of an interest in them with me and enjoy it. And yeah, it's not something I expect to, to you know, speak on anything anything more than it is really it just it just gives us another avenue to do something in horse racing and continue you know perhaps doing what we've been doing but on a but on a smaller scale ourselves yeah, that horse has some scope he absolutely bolted up at Doncaster in a handicap chase what's the plan with him going forward 
He won't be over face this season. It's, and he, he is only a six-year-old now, so he won a nice race just at the end of last season when he stepped up in trip. Just got a fantastic staying pedigree. I bought him off Mick, Mick Goff, who's a brilliant person to deal with. Um, you know, he was bought privately. We we just we've we've always loved him. He's very athletic. And again, Richard's doing a great job with him. He's maturing nicely, but you know, you could say he'd be a horse that could be aimed at the Grimthorpe or the festival, but we just we just don't we want these horses to have long careers and we want them to to continue to build gradually. So he, he won't be overfaced. He's qualified now for two championship races at the end of the season, the Red Rum and the Novices Championship. One's at Carlisle, one is at Warwick, I think, rather than Haydock this year. So he's more likely to run in one of those, maybe a couple of runs towards the end in the spring, but he won't be visiting any festivals or anything on those lines. He's uh, Next year, I think if we, if we look after him, he could he could certainly be developing into a whip bread horse or or whatever the sponsors want to call it nowadays. <laughs> um, you know, he's 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 a proper proper staying pedigree, and, and to win over the trips he's been winning over as a five and six year old suggests he could be if we mind him properly, he could be running at big races going forward. So, so yeah, no no fancy no fancy targets for him. Okay, well you can find out more at rubiconracing.co.uk, and you should very much. Be checking that out. Final question for you. How far does Fugitive win the Ryanair chase by? Yeah, yeah I don't know. I think a nose would be perfect. Um, <laughs> I, think, uh, I, think, I think we've beaten Paul Nichols in two photo finishes with Riders on the Storm one at the old road chase. And, and of course, when we won the December Gold Cup, which um, winning, it's very dramatic winning by that type of margin. So let's maybe stretch it out to half a length or a length. That'd be perfect. We, we would genuinely think he'd have you know, if at 33 to 1 uh, and there's a parting shot, help yourselves. Each way back, you know, he, he will be knocking on the door and he will be, he, he's got plenty of improvements in him and he'll be trained to the minute for the day. And a bit of rain would help his course, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, we'll be strong, strongly fancying and more importantly, we will really enjoy our day of day the races that day, that's for sure. It's impossible to predict the weather, but the Thursday at Cheltenham is becoming just a bog. This and is. that's going to see, suit Tiapu. And we've already got George Gorman set to unleash a massive flood of water from a, a water tanker for the benefit of Tiapu in the stairs. But it'll help out our boy Fugitive as well. I think he's, a, he's an insane Perfect. price. He's an insane him. price going down through that race. Yeah, look, he's a uh, runner and, uh, and he loves the track. It's his closest distance. Um, he'll be trained to the minute for the race. And, you know, he doesn't really have to find much improvement to be there or thereabouts. So we're really excited about it. It's, again, for us, going into a race like that with a live chance, we're, you know, we are going to be absolutely loving it. And I encourage anyone to have a few quid on each way. And the rules of National Hunt Racing in the 2023-2024 season is Gavin Sheehan has to win a big race at whatever meeting it is. So it hopefully is. that's going to be Ryanair Chase 2024 for yourself. Carla, thoroughly enjoyed yeah. speaking with you. Uh, thank you so and much. You, my friend. Thank, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your insight. And the very best of luck with Fugitive at Cheltenham 2024. You're very welcome. Thanks, thanks again for having me. Appreciate it.